0: The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. We're going to read today from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You can follow along uh, with me in your Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. Well, the real Christmas message offers the most unsentimental way of looking at life. The most unsentimental way, uh, the most unsuperficial way of looking at life. But you would never know Uh, that this is true um, by uh, the message in Christmas songs today, Uh, especially, you know, in our music and in our words and, and things that we use around this time of year. A recent study of the top 30 Christmas songs played in the United States among the top 30 revealed not a single one talked about Jesus. Isn't that surprising? Isn't it surprising that even in the top 30 played, And streamed online, not one about Jesus. In fact, I'm sure you could guess the number one song on that list in America. You know what it is. I don't know. All I Want for Christmas. Yeah. It's like the every third song on the radio, right? By by Mariah Carey. But even more astonishing, not not just in the U.S., but Mariah Carey's, if she only knew she was being talked about in church today, you know? All I Want for Christmas is the number one most played song in the entire world. Isn't that something? Every single country country that has music streamed online has Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas as the number one song, with the exception of two countries in the whole world, Denmark and Iceland. And that's only because their radios are frozen and they don't play any, any music. And number two on the list. So it doesn't, get any, it doesn't get more encouraging as we go. The number two on the list is Last Christmas by Wham. How, how, what a sad state of affairs we live in. And before you think, well, Christmas has changed, and, and Christ has been taken out of Christmas, and so much has changed in the past 50 years, well, guess what the song most played by people over 65 is? I'll Be Home by, I'll be home by Christmas by Elvis Presley. Same exact song, just a different singer. I hate to tell those over 55 even, because it's even the most popular song for those over 55, that Elvis is your generation's Mariah Carey. So, <laughs> hope that makes you feel good. Our kid's favorite song. What's our kid's favorite Christmas song this time of year? I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that it was Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Joy to the World. Uh, nope, it's the song I'm Getting Nothing for Christmas. <laughs> Have you heard that? You know, our daughter, our youngest, comes to us and says, Mommy, they're not getting nothing for Christmas because mommy and daddy are mad. <laughs> yeah, you better watch out. Yeah, no. <laughs> Top 30 songs, not a single one about Jesus. You know, with music, there offers um, an alternate meaning of Christmas. Uh, where world over. Christmas is being celebrated. Uh, and yet there are two different offerings for what it means. And that's what we see. We also have words, not just music, but we have words that have alternate meanings, especially this time of year. Words like peace and joy and faith and hope. And once a year, these words uh, become more accessible to an enormous audience where they wouldn't any other time of the year. Once a year, in one season in the year, most of the world is thinking about these words, talking about these words, and, and reflecting on their meaning. And it can seem so very sentimental. So superficial. But Christmas is the most unsentimental, realistic way at looking at life. The Advent, this Advent season and this series, we're going to reflect on, on what Christmas truly is. What it is, what, what does it mean that Christmas has come? And, and only in knowing what Christmas is and what it's about can we truly understand what it means to be joyful, to be full of joy. And so each week we're going to look at one central meaning of Christmas. So let's turn to our passage and consider this reality that this teaches us this morning. Here is this, here's the reality and meaning of Christmas that this passage conveys. That Jesus is real, so we don't have to look elsewhere for a Savior. Jesus is real, and we don't have to look elsewhere for a Savior. Here's what the, here is what the shepherds encounter from the angels in the middle of the night is this message. Let's look at this more, more in depth. First, Jesus is real. This seems so obvious. I mean, why did you get up early in the morning and come to church just to hear that Jesus exists? We, we assume so much that he does exist, but it's worth spending some time thinking about the reality that Jesus is real. No one knows about the birth of Christ at this point. Uh, the angels come and bring this uh, message to, to the shepherds. And they don't announce this—this this, uh, what has happened to the sep- shepherds by starting out with the phrase, once upon a time. Because that's how you start fairy tales. That's how you start stories. Once upon a time, it's the way that you start a story that isn't real. It's the way you start things like fairy tales and Star Wars and, uh, and, and nursery rhymes and bedtime rhymes. It's the way you begin to tell a story that's meant to just relay a good moral truth. When you start a story with once upon a time, it's not so much what is happening in the story that's important. What's important is the meaning that you're supposed to draw from it. It's supposed to teach some kind of uh, moral or ethical standard for how humankind is meant to live in unity and virtue together. But the story of Christmas is much different than a once upon a time fairy tale. The story of Christmas is not good advice for how to live. It's good news to report what is actually being, what has actually happened. The angels say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Such detail is given where we would be, such detail is given where he would be found, what he would be wearing. The make and model of his crib. I mean, isn't this interesting? They, what the details that are shared, the time of, of the year, uh, who was leader of, uh, and who was governor over the place. I'm often surprised when I go to make Christmas cards and want to put a really meaningful and heartwarming verse on a Christmas card that talks of the incarnation and of the Christmas story. And maybe you're surprised in this as well, but it's really hard to find one verse or two verses that you can just go to that is really poetic and beautiful that you can just put on a coffee mug for Christmas. I mean, there's one, and it's probably this one. For unto us is born a, a child in the city of David, a Savior. For us, a son is given. And beyond that, have you ever read the, the Christmas texts? I mean, they're, they're, they're not very poetic. They're not very heartwarming. There, there's, there's no sentimental one-liners that you could put on a coffee mug. Why not? Of the, the biggest miracle that has ever happened, of God becoming a man, the incarnation of, of God himself, of Jesus Christ coming to earth, being born of the Holy Spirit, of something of such magnitude, why don't we have more texts, more scriptures, talking about it in a warm, heartfelt way? Well, here's why. The angels and the writers of scripture are meaning to ground this message in history because Jesus is not a metaphor. Christmas is not a metaphor. He's real. It actually really happened. Here's why this is important to our understanding of Christmas. Christmas is not a time to simply say, cheer up, and together we can make the world a better place. And this time of year, if we really strive and try hard to be better to our neighbors, to go the extra mile, to be sacrificial to be patient when we are angered. If we do it all together, then we can bring peace to the world. Christmas is not a metaphor for self-improvement. It's not about the pursuit of the good life or the most more peaceful existence for humanity. Christmas might be the only time of the year that the world over says with a smile on on their face, we can save ourselves. It's the only time where the whole world comes together and says, be the change that you hope to see in the world. It's the only time where we smile and say, he has risen. Oh wait, that's a different holiday. <laughs> but you, you see, it's the same thing on Easter. We say, he is risen, so be happy. Live your life different. Have a good attitude. We act like the message of the angels is good advice for how to live and not good news for what has happened. Advice is counsel about what you and I should do. But news is a report about what has already happened. And the reporting in Scripture of the birth of Christ is surprisingly non-sentimental. It is surprisingly factual. It is surprisingly dry. It is surprisingly just information about what has happened because the angels are reporting news. They're reporting what has happened and it's very good news. Christmas is reported news. We know that Christmas happened. We know that Jesus is real. We know that Christmas is not just a conduit for a good message and a good metaphor for being a better person. We know that something really happened in a specific place at a specific time. He was wearing specific things and he was placed in a specific kind of crib. And we know all these things. So we know that it happened, but so what? What does that, what does that mean? Jesus is real and Christmas tells us that it, he is real, but Why? Well, we've already mentioned it. He is real so that we don't have to look elsewhere for a Savior. The angels do not say, Jesus has just been born. So if you have a pen and paper, here's the things that you need to do. They don't say this. Rather, they say, I bring you good news of great joy... For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. In other words, they're saying because it is true, because this thing has actually happened, it means good news for you. And it's going to make you very, very happy. And what is that good news? You can stop. You can stop striving. You can stop trying to save yourself because a Savior has been born for you. You can stop looking elsewhere for trying to be that person that you want to be in order to be pleasing to God or to others. Something has been done, and because this thing has happened, it's going to change your whole life and the way that you look at the world forever. God has come to save you. That's the message. God has come to save you. And so you don't need to look anywhere else for a Savior. I would argue that many churches and definitely other religions, when they talk about salvation, they understand it primarily as good advice And not so much good news. Even Christian churches, when they talk about salvation, it sounds more like good advice than good news. And oftentimes it's easy in this story we jump too quickly to the moral of the story. Okay, here's what the angels did and the shepherds did. So what's the moral of the story? It's easy to say we have to listen like the shepherds listen. So we need to hear God and listen to his word. We have to hurry like the shepherds hurried, and we need to be good witnesses and faithful witnesses and go tell people about Jesus. We have to be joyful like the shepherds were joyful and exceedingly joyful. So we have to be exceedingly joyful and have a good attitude in our life. It's very easy to look at this passage and jump quickly to their response. But to understand the the message of Christmas in this way is to still understand Christmas as a moralizing story for how to live better lives for God. Because this is true and because they, what they did, now go and be a better person and be the change that you hope to see in the world. But before they do any of that, before they do anything for God, the angels come to tell them what has been done for them. And that's the meaning of Christmas. That's the meaning of this passage. He has put an end to all of our wrestling for self-improvement. In the coming of Christ, God is putting to end the end of our salvation by works, the end of our pursuit of trying to clean up for God so that God will look on us with favor and announcing the good news that salvation has come, God has come to save you and you don't have to look anywhere else for salvation. Of course, Christianity has endless implications for how we are to live our lives in response to this, but it is first first of all, a message that Christ has come to save us, and we are not saved in the slightest way by what we could do for him, but instead by what he has done for us. And if we're saved by our good efforts, if we're saved by what we do for God, if we're saved by following the moral of the story and thinking that it is just a better pr- improvement of who we are, being more patient, then stories of Christmas have only one function, and that is to inspire us to be better people and to follow his example. But do you see how that is a crushing weight for all of us to bear? At this time of the year, you might have this sentimental feeling that you should be a better person than you are. You need to be nice, you need to be kind, you need to be patient, you need to be loving, you need to be sacrificial, and and we have to give gifts or we, we get to give gifts as an act of generosity, so if you're not a generous person, you really need to be a better generous person. Do you see that all of those things are just a weight that is put on our shoulders, that is ultimately crushing? Because if we want to follow that message of Christmas, then you and I have to be absolutely perfect in order to be saved. You and I have to do it perfectly. We have to be perfectly generous. We have to be perfectly patient, perfectly kind. We have to follow that spirit of Christmas to the T, or else we should be terrified by what it means for us. If the meaning of Christmas is to be a better person, then we are in, a such, we're in such a bad place, because all of us have fallen short of that. And we have reason to be afraid of God's judgment with every time we make a mistake, every misstep, every mistake, every anxious thought that creeps into our heart, every time we lack peace and joy this time of year, any time we are selfish and keep keep gifts for ourselves and, and lack generosity for others. But God's love casts out that fear. He casts out fear and invites us into His rest. We don't have to look elsewhere for a Savior. We don't have to look elsewhere for acceptance. Because God has come to save us. And if you want to be relieved of fear, you must first see what God has done for you. And this casts out fear. It ends, it puts an end to our striving, an end to the labor of our self-improvement. This is another thing that the angels say. They say, fear not. It's in fact the first thing that they say. Of course they say it because the shepherds were terrified. All of us could understand why. They're out there in the field in the middle of the night and they're, they're startled. Uh, they are startled and there is an angel and they are terrified. In the Bible, the people always experience fear when they got near God or when they got near representatives of God, manifestations of the holy. The presence of God immediately brought out their guilt and their failures. So in the presence of God or in presence of the holy, they, they were very quick to realize, I am sinful. Have you come to bring judgment? But because Jesus is born, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of God's rejection because of our sins. We don't have to be afraid of failing. We don't have to be afraid of losing control of our lives because Christianity is not about self-improvement. Christmas is not about self-improvement. Joy that lasts not just in December, but joy that is given and lasts throughout the year. And I believe it's possible that we've underestimated the, the presence of joy that christians are to have in their lives we think that joy is somewhat of a bonus for the christian life don't you know what i mean it's like well of course jesus saved me and that is such a good blessing in life and if things go well and if i'm lucky i'll also be happy i'm thankful that god forgives me and if i'm lucky i'll actually enjoy the life that he's given to me and we see that joy is like this 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 thing that we have to pursue but not all people find Joy is this thing that we have to seek after. It's the icing on the cake. It's not the real purpose of our salvation. And most people aren't joyful. We think of it as a bonus. But joy joy is a word that has become synonymous with optimism or happiness. And some people just aren't optimistic. Some people are just real, realists. Some people just know too much. Mature adults don't have the luxury of being joyful because we know too much. You ever felt that kind of cynicism? We know better. But let me show you the joy that is in Christ, the joy that is in Christmas. Now, looking at John 15, um, verse 11, we see Jesus here talking to his disciples in the final 24 hours of his life on earth. And he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus says these words in the context of his final 24 hours. Alive, He is going to the cross and he tells them why and what it means what, uh, by what he's going to do. He's telling them the good news of the work on the cross for them. And he says, the reason I'm telling you all of this, of what I've come to do, and the reason I'm telling you what I'm about to do, and the reason I'm telling you about what awaits for you is so that you would have joy and that your joy would be full. He is saying, if you really understand what I've done for you and I've come to do for you, you wi- will will find the fullness of joy will, will come into your heart and overflow into your heart into every area of your life. No matter what happens to you in your life, this joy will not be shaken from you. It will not be taken from you. If anything, it'll only increase in you. The more that you understand it and grasp it and the deeper it gets into your heart. And even death itself will not be able to take away your joy. Now, remember the message of the angels at, the, at Jesus' birth when they said, I bring you good news of great joy. I want you to pause, I want you to ponder this. Ponder it as Mary pondered the meaning of Christmas, the meaning that she would she would carry and give birth to a promised Savior. Think about what this means. Consider what was said of Jesus of the first 24 hours of his life on earth. We see the reason for our joy. Consider what was said of Jesus in the final 24 hours of his birth. He gives us a reason for our joy. Joy, Jesus is conceived in joy. He is brought forth into the world in joy. He possesses joy. He dispenses joy. He produces joy in us. And He is our joy. The first day and the last day of Jesus' life reflect the same emotion. Isn't this fascinating? The first thing that is said of Jesus is that he comes with joy. The last thing that is said of Jesus is that he goes with joy. Jesus' birth gives us reason for it, and Jesus' death gives us reason for it. The angels are saying, look, if you want relief from searching for your answers, if you want relief from searching for an end to your labor of self-improvement, of God's approval, the answer is what just happened. Jesus has been born. And Jesus says virtually the same thing. Look, if you want relief from searching for the answer, you want relief for searching for an end to your labor, for trying to please God through your own merits, the answer is found in what I'm about to do and will do. You and I can never come to God. And so God has come to us. Christmas is the beginning of all that Jesus had to do to save us. He is the beginning, Christmas is the beginning of this plan of giving us Full joy in God. Joy is the reason Christ came. It is the reason he lived a perfect life. Our joy is the reason that Christ died. Jesus will go to the cross to stand in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin, to take what we deserve. And if we believe that, yes, I believe that God has died for me and I hope that we have joy, then you're believing in a a different kind of Jesus. If you say, I have full joy in my life, but I don't believe that Jesus has died for me, then your joy is not real joy. What Christmas says is that we have joy because of what God has done. In fact, that's why we say Merry Christmas. Merry is actually another synonym for joy. We don't just walk up to people and say, Merry, happy, cheerful. We say Merry Christmas because we are telling them why we should be joyful. We, We actually have to explain why. Merry Christmas, even saying that, we're saying Mary because of what Christ has done. Even that greeting, even that proclamation, even the proclamation that Jesus is born, the angels don't just came and say, guess what, Jesus is born, and then they leave. They say, Jesus is born, and what this means, it means for your joy. Joy, Christmas is the cause of our joy. We express it in joyful hearts. And Jesus did not experience joy because he didn't know enough. Jesus didn't experience joy, or he he didn't experience joy because he was uh, a wishful thinker, because he was optimistic. In fact, Jesus experienced full joy because he knows it all. His joy was not a result of knowing a little, his joy was a result of knowing everything. It's easy as Christians, the more that we know about the brokenness of the world, the more that we see, the more grief that we experience, it's easy to to see our joy being diminished and knocked down every single time something horrible happens. But don't you see that Jesus' joy was unshakable? And he promises, he says, I'm conceived in joy. I possess joy. I dispense joy. I am joy. When we have Christ, we have unshakable joy. He was born not once upon a time. He really broke into existence to accomplish salvation for us so that we would not have to look anywhere else for it. We would not have to look anywhere else for our joy, our satisfaction, our security. We would not have to look anywhere else for the hope that we desire. We wouldn't have to look anywhere else to find satisfaction for our deepest longings, our deepest longings and hopes in our hearts. He really broke into existence, and we begin to enjoy the joy that comes from resting, from trying to save ourselves, even today. This is where faith comes in, to believe that what He has done is real, that He really existed, that He really exists today, He is alive today, that He lived the perfect life, that He went to the cross for us. Death could not hold Him. He rose from the grave in triumph over sin. We begin to believe that Jesus is the end of our striving for God's approval. And we believe that we can truly stop trying to prove ourselves to God because we can have his joy and rest in spite of our failures. Our joy, the cause of our joy, is not that we have got our act together. The cause of our joy is not because we have improved to such a degree that we're comfortable and happy with where we are in our life. The cause of our joy is because God has come to save us in spite of our failures. All of this is to say, if we want to understand joy, we have to understand Christmas. And if we understand Christmas, we will understand the reason why the angels shouted, good news, Jesus is real, and God has come to save you. You don't have to look anywhere else. And to the degree that we behold this, as the shepherds did, to the degree that we grasp it, to the degree that we treasure it, to the degree that we dwell on it deep in our heart, and to, to, the, uh, to the degree that your fears will be diminished, diminished. To the degree that we actually apply this to every area of our life, of need and longing and expectation and grieving, it is to that degree we will see our fears diminu- diminished, diminished, and we will find rest in God. This is a joy that finds its meaning in Christmas and lasts all throughout the year, no matter what happens, death itself cannot take it away. What good news? Let's pray.